Just like that, poof, Arthur's gone. Wow, I hardly knew him. Just kidding, I feel like I know him very well. Yeah, I, I'd like to think that we've gotten to know him and his cadre of friends <laughs> quite, quite well over the past uh, five and a half years of doing this show. But as you're listening to this, yes, um, there are no more forthcoming new episodes of Arthur, which I know is, is, is a really, you know, it's a bit of a, a fraught subject. A lot of people are very sad about it, but my first thought was, yes. We have an end date. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. We're listen. As much as we love doing this show, and we do love doing this show, yes. Um, yes. Before the end of Arthur, it was looking like me and you had uh, signed some sort of lifetime contract. And you know, I don't think I want to do anything for life, even my favorite stuff. <laughs> I'm just glad you know we didn't. We're not doing this about The Simpsons or Coronation Street or. <laughs> Doctor Who or something like yeah. The, the, well, my heart goes out to the Coronation Street podcasters. That's a that's a tough gig. Yeah, just the the pure history. Like if if you start if we started a Coronation Street podcast around the time when we started ECL, I think we'd be in like maybe the end of the seventies. Like I don't. I'm not confident of. I don't know a lot about Coronation Street, mm. but I know it's very very old and it's been around for a long time. So I, I want to get some takes out of the way. Did you watch the finale? Okay, so yes, I did. And first of all, hello, everybody. Welcome to <laughs> Elwood City Limits, the Episodic Arthur podcast. My name's Will Young. My co-host is Lucas Mancini. Now, before we get too far into it, I just want to put it out there. Yes, Lucas and I, we are going to do a piece of content for the Arthur finale. We're going to be talking about it in more detail next week. We'll tell you a little bit more about that at the end of the episode. So, Lucas, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep it general. Okay. I did I did see the well, finale. I'll, I'll keep it general as to you know maybe I'll lead because I yes. Uh, there was a whirlwind last week of work got really busy and then I got sick and so mm-hmm. um, other stuff was happening in the world and so all this Arthur news was kind of just uh, at the periphery for me, which is interesting because, you know, everybody knows me as the Arthur guy. So everybody's sending me these memes and news stories about the end of Arthur. I was listening to CBC Radio. They were talking about Arthur on CBC Radio. I was like, my goodness, what's what's happening here? Um, my mother's so, my mother's texting me. My sister's sending me Instagram DMs about Arthur. Yes. All uh, yeah. of the articles. Like, uh, yeah, it's so, it's blown up. So my experience with the finale is literally just the pictures of the grown-up kids. So, I mean, uh, okay. that, that's the only thing I could give takes on is uh, the different, all the different Arthur characters and where they've ended up in their careers. So maybe we could save that uh, for the episode next week. Who knows? Yes, I think so. Um, it's, I mean, you'll also, I think there's something forthcoming from uh, DJ Bob where he and I and a couple of other people talk about um, the end of Arthur in more general. So sorry to be a bit withholding about it. I know at this point it's a week old. When we get around to it, it'll be two weeks old. But I promise you we do have something forthcoming about it, and we're going to talk about it in a lot more detail. But suffice to say, I you know I feel like I've said it a bunch either on Discord or on Twitter or whatever. You know, Lucas, you and I, very grateful for the run that Arthur has had. It's a it's a wonderful run. It's immortalized in television history. I really don't think that they could have done it better than that. And to see it on its way out, it's, of course, going to evolve into more um, different forms and different uh, types of media. So it's it's there's really no stopping Arthur. It's just going to continue evolving in ways that we can't anticipate because we've never seen it before. And I'm glad... I am glad that there is an end to the television show because, of course, you run the risk of really zombifying the the show. Maybe it already has. We haven't even we haven't even gotten to that point yet. But it's nice to have an end date on it. Put it really capsulize it in time, and it'll be something that people watching now can show their kids. You and I can show our kids if we knock on wood if we ever have them. Uh, or just our families or people we love. It's it, it's an evergreen show, I think. Yeah, it's true. Like, the question we always ask on the, the Patreon show for the kids is, do, does this show hold up? Would you still show it to kids? Um, and uh, the, these past, at least the I would say the first six seasons, and really 
all the way up to season 13, which we're on now, um, it's all pretty evergreen and, and I think still works for today's audience. So that definitely stands for something. And you can't say that about every ch- long-running children's show. Very true. Um, yes, the uh, recent uptick in interest in Arthur has been a boon for us as well. Uh, I want to say a big thanks to everybody listening who's discovered us from Twitter. We just hit 700-plus Twitter followers this week. Very Ooh. excited about that, and thank you very much for checking Hello. us out. And we are also, one of my favorite emails to get is uh, where our positions are on the Apple podcast chart. We are currently number 250 in South Korea. So once again, hello to our Korean listeners, of which there purports to be uh, quite a few. Yeah, I wish I wish you had told me that earlier. I would have looked up uh, thank you in, in South Korea in Korean. Maybe we'll do them an even bigger favor and not try to do that. Good, good. Good point. All right. So we also want to continue to be thankful to everybody who has been here since the beginning or been here. Or you know what? We have a lot of people who are uh, going back to the back catalog, as we'll hear from in this week's mailbag. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. We have a few pieces of correspondence there that we want to get to. The first one is from Lucas. Oh, my goodness. My evil twin. I thought I've invaded him permanently, but he's returned. To a oh, no, no. via electronic mail. As we like to say, Lucas with three U's. Yes, exactly. Or tall Lucas. I don't know. It could be one of them. Anyway, <laughs> this is from supposedly a different Lucas. Um, he says he's been listening to the podcast for a few months now, greatly enjoying reliving the portions of the show I grew up watching. I was born in 1997, so I would have watched roughly the same seasons as Lucas. Our Lucas. I've wondered about the animal hierarchy situation myself over the years, and I may have found slash thought of an answer. Put simply, in the Arthurverse, other species evolved at the same rate alongside monkeys, thus explaining the four versus two-legged variations of the residents of that world. It would also explain the various adjustments needed in headwear for head structures like Buster's ears or George's antlers. I found a written version of this theory on Reddit. I can't seem to attach it in this email. It's interesting thought, Lucas and Lucas, but I... I, I, you know, there's always a little piece of complication to this, and that's the fact that the Arthur characters refer to themselves as human. It's true. So it it always it's always the stumbling block. Though you know, um, I I wonder if we were to evolve from different animals at the same rate as as we evolved from monkeys all at the same time, maybe there wouldn't be a distinction if everybody has like the same level of, um, you know, consciousness and sentience. Uh, you know, mm. we're all people. It doesn't matter if you're a duck or a monkey or a bear or kind of an aardvark, but you don't really look like an aardvark at all. In fact, your nose isn't even protruding. Um, You just kind of look like a bear thing, but that's not important. Don't worry about that too much. Well, yeah, and I mean, you can get into all sorts of Blade Runner-esque what makes a human, what Mm. makes an animal Mm. conversations, Mm. and, uh, you know, I I just, I guess I'd laugh because we're going to be having this conversation for a long time, and clearly, after Arthur has ended, still a lot of questions remain. This one comes from Ashley, who's been binge listening to the podcast and is currently on episode 157, so almost caught up. By the way, if you want to binge listen to the podcast, I'm uploading the episodes one a day on our YouTube channel. Now, we're currently at uh, almost 70 subscribers. When we hit 100, we can get the custom domain link. So please search Elwood City Limits on YouTube and subscribe so we can tell you to go to youtube.com slash Elwood City Limits. I believe I'm up to, I think today was episode 58. We're recording this on a Wednesday. So by the time you're listening to this, it'll be up to episode 60. And it's been fun listening to some of our old stuff. But Ashley's up to 157. The show is now one of my favorite podcasts to listen to on a regular basis. I like to put an episode on while I'm at my desk, driving, or cleaning, as it feels like I'm just sitting in a room with some friends talking about Arthur. I'm about the same age as Lucas and essentially grew up watching the show. I remember having my mom buy me Juicy Juice because the Arthur characters were on it. Oh, jealous. I always wanted to try Juicy Juice. And also being a little older and watching the season 10 premiere and the promotion behind that. One of my favorite early season episodes episodes is the blizzard and arthur's tv free week a common answer to favorite arthur episode but for good reason it's a great episode there's also a later season episode where grandma thora teaches arthur and dw how to knit which makes me so happy as someone who knits and crochets in their free time 
Not only do they portray how to knit correctly, most TV shows have the person holding the needles incorrectly, but also push away the stereotype that only old ladies knit, and that anyone, no matter age or gender, can do the hobby. I appreciate the hard work you both spent making this podcast, especially with the way the world has been the last few years. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, Ashley. Our next one is from Stephanie. I love the podcast, been really enjoying it, been mixing up listening to old episodes while waiting for the new ones. I'm excited to hear whatever you have to say about the newest episodes. If you've watched them, you've probably already noticed, but if not, I wanted to let you know that the last few episodes have a lot of fodder for the animal hierarchy concerns. From discussions to George's antlers being velvety, to Bitsy making a joke about bunnies, to one in the final episode that may be a spoiler, so I'll only say it involves Arthur specifically. I know which one you're talking about, Stephanie. We only have so much time on this podcast, so I can't even begin to open it, but we'll definitely get around to that next week. Personally, I feel that the finale was rushed and should have been a full 30-minute episode, and I'm excited to hear what you think. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, We'll definitely uh, put something up on the free feed. So, full disclosure, it's going to be a Patreon release, but we will put a good... Uh, you know, a part of it up on the free feed. So just just to let you know. Um, uh, thank you very much. Katie, hi again, Will and Lucas. Thank you for the live stream last week. I really enjoyed tuning in and watching. Yes, thank you to everybody who tuned in for our second Twitch live stream. I think by this point, we're probably hitting the 14-day limit on the archive. On the, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, checking archive. right now if it's still up. Let's see. Elwood City Limits Pod. Oh, it's still up. Still up. So is it fourteen days? I I have uh, apparently our it, it was it's still four. I guess we streamed eleven days ago. Wow, I I thought yeah. it was longer. So I guess it is so, fourteen days. So all right. So if you're listening to this on Friday, you still have a chance to watch it until end of day Saturday or something to that effect. I have another question. I don't think you've discussed in the pod, but forgive me if it's been mentioned. What are your thoughts on the change in Emily's character design from season four to season five? I've always wondered why they chose to update her. Her original look was more unique and seemed to resemble the style of the other characters better. Her new design is fine, but her haircut always seemed bland. I was really surprised in DW Swims with the Fishes when they briefly used the old design. Um, so, Lucas, I don't know if you can picture this in your head. I can also send you some pictures. I- I'm looking that it up Emily right had. now. So, yeah. In- so, essentially. In the seasons one to four, Emily has the red headband and her hair's a little frizzy versus season five and onward. She has that very smooth uh, hair. The, the Yeah, she's uh, almost got the like the updo where it, it mm. kind of feathers up at the, at the bottom. Um, yes. And so the, the, I, I don't remember the timeline exactly. That may have been the time. When she got Marie Hélène as her live-in <laughs> nanny, so maybe she's doing some magic with her hair. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to go somewhere different. It also, I think, the the look of Emily takes her from like background character to like sort of snobby rich girl, which she is sort of to DW at the time. So maybe that's what they wanted to do, and they wanted to communicate it uh, through her design. But your guess. Maybe as good as ours. It's a good, good, uh, um, good eye spotting that though, because it's true. Very few of the characters actually go under undergo redesigns um, over the course of the show that we've watched thus far. Um, most of them have basically the exact same outfit, the exact same hair um, that they've always had. So it's interesting that they picked Emily of all people to be the one to kind of give a makeover. Yeah, you're right, uh, and it, it. I'm I'm actually surprised that we didn't end up noticing. But then again, Emily is often just a background character. It's really only later in the series that she gets her own stories. I also want to share some beef that I have with the episode Brain Gets Hooked. There's a scene where Brain checks out the DVDs from the library, and Miss Turner comments about how he usually checks out a stack of books. Now, I know it's a TV show, and I know it was meant to be a joke, but considering the Arthur show advocates the library a lot, this scene does not put libraries in a good light. Miss Turner needs to mind her own business and not comment about what Brain chose to check out. Because of her comment, Brain felt embarrassed and felt like he should also check out a book. This is a common situation in library 
transactions where librarians or circulation workers can't keep their mouths shut. Oftentimes, children, or any patron for that matter, may want to check an item out at the library but may be embarrassed about it or afraid that the librarian will say something, which is why library self-checkouts are so great. But in a situation where there are no self-checkouts, it's not the librarian's job to comment on what their patron is checking out, or else it can dissuade that patron from checking out those types of materials again, and then this creates a barrier to information. As someone who has checked out Arthur DVDs from the library, I would be really ticked if the person at Circulation... Uh, ever commented on my choices since it's really none of their business. I know that it wasn't the focus of the episode, but I really wish that it had refrained from having Miss Turner comment on Brain's choices because it's an inaccurate representation of what a library transaction should look like. So Katie's got some feelings about this, and uh, I, for one, appreciate it. But uh, yeah, I can't say that. You know what? I did. It didn't even register because it's. I've never had anything like that happen to me. Not at a library, at least. Maybe at like a video store back in the day, but uh, yeah, it's it's never <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, never happened to me. It's usually like yeah, video stores, comic book stores, where the the people will comment on what you're procuring. Um, definitely not libraries. As a son of a librarian, I can say that uh, that is indeed inaccurate. I don't think a librarian would ever do such a thing. Um, and like they mentioned in the email, I uh, almost always self-checkout books when I go to the library these days, but I can't speak to all the libraries everywhere. I will say, though, that in particular instance, though, it doesn't paint the librarian in the best light. Uh, I think Katie's right that it is in service of the joke being that... Um, um, oh, my goodness. My mind is blanking. Sorry, I still have uh, remnants of the flu. Uh, Binky is embarrassed uh, at being uh, seen as intelligent. So he doesn't want the other kids to know that he's a reader. And so he's kind of embarrassed. And he, uh, and so that's that, that's kind of the crux of the joke. So um, I think in service of that, it, it made me laugh. And that's probably why we didn't think about it too much. But it's true. If their shows try to put uh, librarians uh, in a positive light, having them kind of... Um, shame you for your checkout choices uh, is not a good idea, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's just a really unusual uh, place for brain to be in, so I can understand why it would have stood out to you. And oh, yes, sorry. thankfully, yeah, it's brain. Oh my goodness. Yeah, my flu-addled brain. I, I, my brain is zapped by the flu. Thank you. It's all good. Thanks, everybody, for your emails. Remember, you can send them into elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Our listeners are really getting savvy about this. They are know, they know which time of the week that we normally record. And so right around Monday to Wednesday is when I usually get a uh, an influx of new emails. So kudos to you for, getting, for sliding those in under the door at the right time. And it's always on the weeks where we are <laughs> typically recording Elwood City Limits. So they uh, not, can't skate a lot past them. And, of course, we want to give a big thank you to uh, our patrons at patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. Patrons got access to an exclusive interview that I had with an Elwood City Limits favorite, that being the voice of DW and of Finding DW, Jason Schwimmer, last week. Due to a little bit of uh, flux in our schedules, I was able to uh, talk to Jason about the ending of Arthur and about the reception to Finding DW and our ideas for what an Arthur podcast would even look like. Uh, as that's one of the things that PBS plans to do with the uh, material or with the franchise from here. So we talked, it was a great conversation. It was awesome to talk to him again, and it is exclusive for patrons. Uh, so if that sounds good to you, then maybe you want to consider signing up just like some of our newer patrons. We want to say a big thank you to Rory Forever, Lucas Pascal, Tyler Bozetsky, and just new today, Emma. Welcome, everybody. We also have great people like Zara, Derek Richopo. We have Cyril Delarosa and Jay Wags, Iman Salehian, Kelly Corbett. We got Vinny Cataldo, of course, and Hannah Kitten, who I believe it's her birthday when we're recording this. Happy birthday, Hannah. And we have Ursula Cat. We have Rachel Pearson. We have Macy Ball and Ross Ward, as well as Teresa. And John Dulong. Remember, if you uh, want, if you're a patron and you'd like your name read on the air, it's all very random which ones I pick. So please feel free to shoot me a message in Patreon or Discord. This is it. It is time to put season 13 to rest. And we started off with looking for Bonnie, which 
Lucas, I thought we were watching. Uh, I thought we were watching Arthur. I, I, I must have accidentally put the Easy Rider DVD <laughs> in the uh, in the in the in the disc tray. Yeah, it, though no LSD in in um, this version. No, yeah, we get a character that I don't believe we've ever seen before, uh, who's no. later introduced as Dean Lomax, who does look like he just walked out of Easy Rider. Um, and he pulls up to George's house, uh, talking about someone who's sick, Will, someone who needs urgent medical attention. So he's talking about this, uh, whatever, Bonnie is apparently in trouble, and only George's father can help, because I guess he and Dean Lomax knew each other back in the day. For, uh, I wanted to point out here, uh, Dean Lomax's helmet, did you notice the Quebec fleur-de-lis on it? No, I didn't. Interesting. It, it's the blue Quebec fleur de lis. At least I believe it is, because a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, production of Arthur takes place in Quebec. At least it did at this time. Uh, and it turns out that he is wanting George's dad to fix Bonnie, which is an old guitar of his. Um, when George is talking about this past the cold open with Arthur and Buster, uh, first of all, I, I liked this. It's, of course, established that George has dyslexia, so he remembers his name as Lean Domax, <laughs> which I think which I think is a, a very good attention to detail. But apparently this Dean Lomax character is a well-known rock star. Buster and Arthur both have at least heard of him, and their parents are big fans of him. So that sort of era of, like, 70s, 70s rock. And, of course, his character design is very much... Long haired, like you, like you said, he does look like he's out of Easy Rider. Long haired, kind of hippie ish, but also a little bit of that. He's driving a motorcycle, so a little bit of that seventies grit in there as well. Um, Buster describes him as he used to be really big, but now he's just kind of big. So <laughs> I assume the kind of musician we're like now he'd be playing the casino <laughs> if he came around. Sure, something like that, or he's retired off of the truckload of money that he made decades ago and now he's just doing doing just fine um there's a there's a legend that goes along with his guitar bonnie buster tells a story of how he wrote his first hit which was called looking for bonnie he was taking cover under a tree he was resting under a tree and a storm came about and then a lightning bolt struck the tree and instantly carved this immaculate looking guitar and that's would the, be a marvel of physics, by the way. It's the beauty of myth, isn't it? Uh, you don't even—it doesn't even have to make sense. It's just—it <laughs> feels so right when you're when you're telling it and when you're hearing it. And there's a lot—I mean, rock and roll, uh, one of the music genres that is definitely prone to flights of fancy. Um, so Buster, Buster's really excited about this. Like he is into like Dean Lomax so, to the point where he even decides after George tells him that. Dean is staying at his house while Bonnie is getting fixed. Buster just straight up invites himself over for a oh, sleepover. Yeah. This part, this okay, was something. So, yeah, so Buster pulls up, and Buster's mom is already out the door driving away when Buster's like, I'm here for our sleepover this Friday. And, and George is like, I didn't know about a sleepover. And he's like, oh, maybe that was supposed to be Arthur's. Well, can I still stay here? Let me tell you something, Will. If I pulled this stunt back in the day, it would not go over well. I, no. I feel like I would get in a lot of trouble. Um, like George's parents would call my parents. Yeah. Uh, yep. and uh-huh. I would alle- immediately be punished for my deception, uh, and my manipulation. Um, so it's a small miracle that George likes Buster. I guess it's if, if George likes Buster enough that he actually wants him to sleep over and his parents go along with it and don't know that his mom has already left. Uh, you could kind of swing this, but whew, he t- definitely took a risk. Yeah, absolutely. This was a this is a real like so like I was feeling a lot of social anxiety around this. I'm just like, no, no, you can't do this. They need more time. They need more time. You can't just spring a sleepover. And me, of course, growing up, I did not sleepovers were kind of hard to uh, to swing for parents sometimes. So I was again 
just very much like this cannot happen. You can't do yeah. this, Buster. And my parents never liked it when I backed them into a corner, right? Like you would do the classic no, strat no. where it's like, oh, you tell them that you want to sleep over, then they'll have to say yes, right? Or right. all these little like manipulation tactics you try when you're a kid, like, oh, we'll get your mom <laughs> to leave and we'll say that you've already accepted it, and then you'll have to be allowed because your your mom is gone. Those never, I feel like, are the secret to success. <laughs> No, it leads to technical success, but you're burning a bridge down the road. <laughs> or maybe not burning a bridge, but it's certainly leaving it on unshaky ground. Um, so Buster invites himself over to his sleepover. Uh, when he and George, after they go to sleep, they wake up in the middle of the night and they sneak out to the garage to see Bonnie. Now, just as baffling as Buster inviting himself over for a sleepover and succeeding is George brings Wally along. Because unfortunately, we can't have a George episode without Wally, it seems. He brings Wally along, and Wally's just there for the purpose of just making everything harder for them. Like, And I'm surprised at one... Like, Buster never goes like, George, did you have to bring Wally? Or just like, would you shut up? He never. It's like Wally is constantly like making noise and George has to like cover his mouth. So he's got to keep the whole like charade going, even though it's actively hindering them. Yeah, I just like that it's fully accepted now that Wally is technically in the eyes of all the Arthur characters a separate character and not just George doing another voice. Because you're right, it's George making problems for himself. You're right. They are very accepting of George's little whatever you want to whatever you want to call this but yeah it's really only exists to make problems for them so they both go to bonnie and they give the neck uh string a little strum they both do and they both have different fantasies about (laughs) Yeah, remember when i said it was there was no lsd like easy riser i lied they both get hallucinations from this guitar or at least they feel that i mean i think the the re the the less drugified version is that they are <laughs> they're feeling the power of this uh powerful uh mystical instrument they're feeling the they power of visions. the music yeah yes so. um so <laughs> george's vision is that he is something of a traveling musician much like dean lomax in the legend himself and he comes across a tree a little sapling that really wants to grow so in, in, and in both of these um, imaginations, the guitar kind of has a will of its own. Like, it communicates through string plucking and stuff like that and can move around of its own accord. So George sits down to play for the little sapling. Uh, in this, like, and he's dressed like, you know, uh, what's a raconteur, uh, perhaps, let's say. Yeah. Arthur, Arthur comes along. He's got a wheelbarrow of... Um, not mulch, but um, fertilizer. And George convinces him to leave him some for the tree. Prunella comes along with a water bottle and or a canteen. And George asks her to give some water to the little sapling. And little by little, the power of music and, you know, the very real power of how to grow a plant helps this tree, uh, helps this sapling, I should say, grow into a tree. And the that's main the thing... I took away from this, uh, besides George's song, which I actually uh, liked quite a bit. It was like... Yeah, it was pleasant. Um, just like classic American folk music. Sounds like, like a mm. Pete Seeger song or something. Um, but uh, his Arthur's cowboy outfit. Um, I feel like we've seen Arthur dressed as a cowboy a couple of times, but I think this is different than with the ones we've seen him in before. There's a lot more detail to this cowboy outfit. Mm. Um, and it's a, it's a great... He's got a great hat. He's got a great cowboy shirt. Um, great chaps. The whole thing is is looking good. <laughs> it's a little bit. It reminded me a bit of like a carnival barker almost at times. Um, and in Buster's fantasy, it's a bit more modern day, where he and Arthur and Francine are getting ready to play a concert at Stonehenge. And as they begin to play this song, which is like a couple of bars of a song, uh. Daniel Brochu singing this aliens come in a giant flying saucer and to visit and everybody is freaked out at first, but it turns out they're there to jam. So that's the power of music brings these disparate cultures together. At least so I hate to fantasy. be a party pooper because I know yes. that this is a fantasy vision taking place <laughs> in the mind's eye of a child who's been inspired by the power of music. Uh-huh. That being said, Buster is playing an acoustic guitar, and it's making an electric guitar tone. doesn't make any sense. 
Oh, do you know what? I completely didn't notice because I was so I was so enraptured by this fantasy. You know, it's funny, like both of the fantasies are about like the coming together of different cultures and different people. And it's just like, oh, I was so taken by this uh, this out there outside of the box fantasy that different people can come together and we can be bonded together by a uniquely human experience, which it just feels like these days it's never going to happen. But I suppose it still does, not to be a complete uh, bummer or anything. <laughs> but they both have these little fantasies and eventually... Oh, oh, be- before yeah. we move on from the Buster one, uh, another yeah, thing yeah, I yeah. want to point out, speaking of old movie references, you know, we started off talking about Easy Rider. Uh, Buster's fantasy references both Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which makes sense, mm. you know, communicating with aliens through music. Yep. Um, but it also then references Deliverance? Do you think so? Yeah, they're doing dueling it's, banjos. It's literally, yeah, that's absolutely what they're doing. Like, it starts out with the close encounters uh, of the third kind of, like, reflecting a tone at one another. But then it yeah. totally becomes a dueling banjos reference after that. Do the they way they're play playing du- to one another. It didn't sound like dueling banjos, though. Like, that's a very particular... No, yeah, they're finger-picking at everything. Here, I'm, I'm going to listen to it back again so I'm not totally talking I mean, I suppose. here. I mean, I suppose so. It's just like... You know, you had a good one with uh, Close Encounters. It does sound like, like Dueling Banjo. Wait. Does it it's really? literally like like Bluegrass. Like, yeah, they, it is Dueling Banjo. <laughs> I mean, it's not the same song, but they're like... Well, that's, that's what I mean. It's not the same song, but... Okay. Because I, I would definitely have noticed if it was the same song. Yeah, they're not going ding-ding-ding-ding, but... It's it's definitely reminiscent of the scene, and this and the scene is coming across the same point, right? It's it's you know uh, a really rich guy from uh, the city uh, connecting with someone who he has no kind of shared cultural background with, a uh, person from up on the mountains who knows nothing of the city life. But the thing that it, they're able to communicate with is the music, right? That's the point of that scene in Dueling Banjos, is that uh, through their, their shared musicianship, they're able to communicate and have this connection. And this I is see. the same thing, but with an alien. I've only seen that scene through, like, just on its own. I haven't seen it in context. So I just by Ooh. being attached to Deliverance, I thought it was maybe, like, a little bit more sinister in tone. But... That's good because the because the rest of Deliverance, yeah, geez Louise, you don't please don't reference that on Arthur. <laughs> well, listen, yeah, we don't see how this ends for no, no, the alien leaves before anything bad can happen to any of the kids. No, but nothing uh, bad uh, happens. <laughs> but yeah, no, true. It's I don't think it, it it's a reference in anything else in Deliverance, but it is certainly reference to that one that one famous part. Okay, I was just afraid that the flu was starting to like cook your brain or something. <laughs> So the episode ends ends up with, you know, the two of them confront, not don't confront, but they talk to Dean Lomax once Bonnie has been uh, fixed. And he clears up the legend a little bit because they see it and, oh, wait a minute, that's not the guitar that we strummed. This is a completely different guitar. So Dean Lomax, of course, did not actually get Bonnie from a tree that was struck by lightning. He bought Bonnie in Chicago in 1963 for $40. And so there's no there's no real magic, quote-unquote, to Bonnie, but the magic is in the music that she plays. And that was also in something... That was the theme in both of uh, George and Buster's fantasies, in that you know music brings together people in different ways, and that's the real magic. And that's that's kind of how the episode ends. It very much. It's the story is a little thin, but the <laughs> message is nice. So we're gonna get into uh, the second part of this story, which will be the last one of Arthur season thirteen. But before we get to that, because we ended up watching it on a different service than normal. And now a word from us kids, or excuse me, and now a word from Zoe. And now a word from us kids. You know, this Zoe one also earns, very music based. Yeah, Zoe earns kind of getting the marquee title spot. You know, she's not just some kid. Uh, it's a word from Zoe because this girl shreds the mandolin. Right. I was in so- awe of her mandolin acumen. So her whole thing is that she plays the mandolin. She shows us a little bit more about it. She plays it with her family. She plays it with some friends that she, you know, does a little bit of mu- uh, music with. Now, 
I'm going to admit to some ignorance here. I thought that the mandolin was closer to a violin than a guitar. So it's not, it's kind of, it's not really either. It's its own thing, but it's, she very much plays it, you know, in the same style that you would a guitar. And I always thought that a mandolin was more like, more like a violin or a viola or something. I think it's like one of those things where if you play it classically, a mandolin, it's like the difference between a violin and a fiddle, right? Where, mm. uh, you know, classically a mandolin can be like a classical instrument and you uh, associate it with like orchestration and stuff like that. Or you can play the mandolin um, bluegrass style like they're doing here, similar to the difference to when you're playing a violin like a violin or a violin like a fiddle, where it's a little bit more like folksy. I see. Uh you know, there's a lot that I don't know about instruments because I did not, I'm not very musical. So it turns out I still have a lot to learn, but this was cool. I always like it when they do, uh, when they do this, when they do this sort of thing. And for the curious listeners at home, including you, Will, if you ever want to know exactly what my kind of swag was in elementary school, uh, her friend playing the guitar <laughs> looks just like how, like, in terms of drip, in terms of haircut <laughs> and glasses choice, that is exactly uh, the kind of swag I was bringing to grade two uh, is the guy playing the guitar. Not the guy playing the guitar on his side, but the guy playing the guitar right up. Uh, spitting image of 2002 Lucas Mancini. Very proper. Like, he, I, I'm sure your parents <laughs> approved of this so-called drip. All right, so we're going to get into the second half of this in just a moment. We will be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Lucas from the Elwood City Limits podcast. And if you love ECL, there's a couple of ways to keep up with us. You could go to facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits at ECL podcast. That's our Twitter. We take questions on Tumblr. It's elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. There is an Instagram as well, Elwood City Limits on Instagram. Of course, if you want to donate to the show and get exclusive content, whether that's our full-length commentary of the Arthur movies, our brand-new bi-weekly PBS Kids Review Show, as well as our video game movie reviews with the Sonic movie review and Pikachu movie review, you can check out patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. Uh, And that's also going to get you access to the Elwood City Limits Discord, which me and Will like to post in from time to time. And if you want that sweet, sweet Elwood City Limits merch, check out teespring.com slash stores slash Elwood hyphen city hyphen limits hyphen store. You can listen to the podcast at libsyn.com slash Elwood City Limits, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and there's other podcast apps like Stitcher. And if we're not on your favorite app, let us know. And where can you let us know? Well, that's going to be at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. That's also where you can send us a question and we'll read it on the show. Finally, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do so is to tell a friend who likes animation or Arthur or just podcasts in general and to go to our iTunes page and rate us out of five stars. Apparently, that helps podcasts out. Bye, everybody. So the last one, the last part of season 13, the secret origin of supernova. And this cold open, again, just get you get you right into it. We're in like cast your mind ahead. We're in Futuropolis. 2612 is the year. And Arthur Reed works as an insurance clerk. <laughs> but but not just as an insurance clerk, he is also secretly the superhero Supernova. And he's even joined in fighting crime along with his sidekick, Star Child, which is DW, and Sirius the Superdog, which is Pal's alter ego. So the whole cold, that's just, that's the cold open is Arthur as this superhero. What did you, what, like, what, how did this strike you? Well, I mean, first I was confused because there's a lot of fake superheroes on Arthur, a long history of it. You know, Oh, sure. Bionic Bunny, we have Dark Bunny. We have Buster Baxter, Cat Saver. And this is one, and I think even DW has had alter egos um, in that story she was telling the Tibbles and, and stuff like that. But this is the first we've seen of these characters, so it was a little bit confusing. I was also confused why his alter ego is a uh, mutual or, like, a, a, an insurance agent. <laughs> I thought that was, <laughs> you know, for all you folks who were mad about uh, what Arthur's career ends up being in the season finale, I mean, it could always be worse, I suppose. It could be a mutual insurance agent, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I was kind of just confused at this point. 
So yeah, we we will you know it's we take a good break from Supernova after this cold open, um, but it certainly gets your attention right away. I'll tell you that. So the real meat of this is that coming to Elwood City, the All Star Comic Convention. Uh, this is announced during an episode of Dark Bunny. So. Buster and Arthur, really excited. They have to get costumes. They want to dress up for the comic convention, as you as you do, as I have done before. Um, we get some extended footage of the, the Dark Bunny TV show, which we've always seen to be a parody of the Batman the Animated Series uh, in both, in, mainly in visuals, but also in music and everything else to that degree. Now, we also see that it, there's a little bit of a combination there as well with the Adam West Batman of the 60s because we get a couple of those, like, Bark, Dark Bunny swings a punch and we get, like, bam, or whatever it is. Like, one of those discretion shots to avoid showing violence. During the cartoon, we also see Dark Bunny shill for Might a Max Energy Drink, which is an energy drink that apparently gives him the power to stop crime. And Arthur's really taken by this. He wants to, he imagines doing all of his chores in the same manner as Dark Bunny. I will also say, in the Dark Bunny cartoon, in Arthur's imagination, and in all of the like superhero related stuff, we get at least four ins like I feel like it's like four, maybe five instances of the old, the old Batman trope of Commissioner Gordon talking to Batman. He turns around, he turns back, and Batman isn't there. Yeah, they love doing that th- that little gag. Yeah, and it, it, it's like every time a superhero is brought up, there's some there's some uh, part of that. So this is where we're kind of getting going, and it's not immediately clear. Like I had an idea of what the over what the main plot of this was, but I was like, okay, this is a weird way to do it. A weird way to do it is uh, <laughs> is a theme of this episode. So Buster and Arthur plan to go as Bionic Bunny and Dark Bunny, respectively, and they buy costumes at a local store, and Arthur also buys this Mitamax energy drink. He finally decides to. He's going to he's going to wait to use it until the convention so he can give himself more energy, and he brings it to school and shows it off. Now, Brain, the Brain we're normally uh, very, very cold on, especially the way that he can ruin your fun, but I I want to stick up for him in this case, because I think he's actually doing Arthur a favor. I had the he same is, note. Okay. We, yeah, we're normally down on the brain, but here I think he's doing the right thing. He and, and Francine burst Arthur's bubble about the energy drink, which they say is just sugar, water, and food coloring. So it's not really much of an energy, like there's no caffeine in it or anything, and they probably couldn't sell it to kids if there was. But there's nothing about it that will really give you more energy. And they burst Arthur's bubble. And this actually sends Arthur spiraling a little bit because he throws out the drink and he keeps thinking about how, you know, part of Dark Bunny's character is that he has this self-imposed code of honor, as Arthur calls it. And Arthur's just kind of lying on his bed and just like, how can you have a self-imposed code of honor when you're selling these, like, phony energy drinks. Yeah, this basically leads Arthur to become totally disillusioned with all of his... It's a big growing up moment, because so far in the show, you know, Arthur's biggest heroes haven't been real people. They've been the characters of Bionic Bunny and Dark Bunny. And he becomes totally disillusioned with these fictional superheroes uh, to the point with coming up with this like imagination sequence where um, Dark Bunny's at a board of directors meeting with all these like frogs and he's talking about how he's outsourced his crime fighting overseas and so he can make more profits for him and the frogs and the frogs are talking about like profits is what we love that's great uh, in fact I think at one point <laughs> our Dark Bunny goes excellent more money for me and <laughs> Arthur just kind of becomes disillusioned with consumerism uh, and the way these fictional characters are essentially and this is true of a lot of children's programming you know think your gi joes your transformers um just an excuse to sell things to kids this was i did not see this coming at all like it, you know you figure that the episode's going to be about like supernova or something but then it's just like no the main crux of this is that arthur becomes and and it doesn't stop here it's not just dark bunny but it's just the the whole idea of like child becomes disillusioned with the fact that their favorite superhero is just meant to sell toys. Like I didn't figure that out until high school. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Arthur's ahead of the game and he's like, 
getting right into the nihilist the nihilism of it all like in yeah. in his he has that imagination that you mentioned and in that one dark bunny says he subcontracts crime fighting to overseas which is like what child understands the idea of <laughs> subcontracting <laughs> It's true. It's true. Um, trade agreements and stuff like that. Right. Those were that was domestic crime fighting jobs that Dark Buddy <laughs> took from us. No, I, I. It's really interesting. I mean, there's some adults that I think could watch this Arthur episode. You know, all those folks saying that Tom Holland needs an Oscar for his his role. In, the people who all uh, the people who all went to the Avengers over and over again, so it could be the most successful movie of all time or whatever. Uh, do you remember when that was happening? That people wanted like Avengers yes. to be oh, abs- Avatar. Ab- absolutely. Uh, a lot of those people were grown adults, <laughs> and I think those people would be well served by watching this Arthur episode. You know, those superheroes—they're not real, and they just want your money. <laughs> In my opinion, everybody needs. Like, I figured that everybody has this, but you're right. Not everybody does because <laughs> there's a lot of, like you said, grown adults out there who are caping for this type of behavior from brands so it's just obviously it's done in a very soft manner but i really like i was blown blown away that they would do this in an arthur episode well so now you arthur, know, the show yeah. does it in a soft, a soft manner but it's true arthur actually holds these superheroes to an incredibly high standard all it took was one energy drink deal uh to him to completely throw away all of his like dark bunny paraphernalia including like bed sheets board games stuff like that Um, and I think the next, I can't remember the name of the next hero he chooses, but eventually him and Buster try to find a new superhero for him to like, and they go to the comic book store. They go Um, to Meteor Comics and talk to Freddie K about the, about what Buster calls the big book. It's an encyclopedia of superheroes said Arthur can find a new superhero to dress up as is. So is Freddie K your throwaway character of the week? Well, do you think we're never going to see Freddie K again? It was a pretty, like, I was pretty unique characterization for a character we'll never see again. But I, I hope to see Freddie K again. Uh, he's I certainly throw- hope so. I, he's definitely throwaway character of the week otherwise. I love the character design. You know, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying it's accurate to comic book store employees that he's got the, the, the two t-shirts, the goatee. Honestly, the whole look is is very accurate. It speaks to a lived experience. Um, and I also like that he, they gave him like a comic book store guy voice, but it's like their own thing. It's not just doing the Simpsons comic book store guy voice. It's a different funny voice, but nonetheless recognizable as the kind of voice a comic book store guy would have. Um, it's it's I think it's very true to life without being insulting. Yeah, like I, there are ways you can do this where he's like, like visibly smellier and grosser and like more unpleasant, but he's not. He's like just a normal dude in like just dressing the way that guys in their thirties do. As a guy, as a nerdy guy in my thirties myself, like it was. It, I was glad to, you're right. I'm. This could have been a lot worse. So it be, it would be nice to see him again. I'm. I always have a lot of time for friendly uh, comic book patricians. Um. Arthur is slipping through the encyclopedia. He finds a couple of throwaway characters. There's one of them that is a female character. And Arthur says, I can't dress up as a girl. To which Buster replies, that's sort of narrow-minded, don't you think? (laughs) Again. (laughs) What? I can't believe believe they went there on Arthur. That was awesome. What year would have this been, too? It's like... 2010? I think 2010. So yeah, this is before again, people were saying that they were going to, uh, uh, boycott the wonder woman movie because (laughs) they were doing like all female screenings or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, before, before Gaber gate, before any of this, all, all of these kind of, uh, weird social politics around nerd stuff, really started cropping up and coming to a head, a very ugly head. Um, you know, Arthur already had the right take. <laughs> Once again, like, an eight-year-old has more sense than grown men. Mostly, mm. mostly men. It's nuts. It. I just completely was blindsided by it um, in a good way. So Arthur finds a superhero called Manacle. Which, we only get the design of him. We don't really know what he's about. Like, we don't like we don't even find out. He's kind of dressed like a knight with a mace, kind of? Like, it's, it's an interesting design for a one-off, but we don't get even 
into the story because Arthur immediately furnishes his entire room with it in the same way that Dark Bunny was furnished with it, only to find out on a visit to the grocery store with his dad that um, Manacle's cereal is loaded with sugar. And again, Arthur is completely disillusioned, and he takes all of his Manacle stuff down immediately. Right, so that's what I was talking about earlier is all it takes is one endorsement for uh, Arthur to completely disown the new character he's adopted. Which I can appreciate, but I think we come to a more sensible uh, direction of this later. The next one that Arthur tries out is um, Doodle Dog, which uh, apparently is something Buster and Arthur used to watch when they were very young kids, maybe DW's age. And it's a takeoff on Underdog. The design is very similar, and it's very like Kitty. It's like in the cartoon, he helps an old lady cross the street. We get a little uh, shot here of little Arthur and Buster. I always love it when they do the, the baby or little versions of the characters. They're very cute. Arthur decides to go all in on Doodle Dog, only to find out that Francine sees him with like a Doodle Dog water bottle, and she just asks the the first graders what they think of Doodle Dog, and even the little kids think he's lame. So <laughs> Arthur and Arthur throws away the water bottle. Is like that's the rest of my allowance. So he's got no more money to go around to to blow on superheroes. And it's at this point that. Arthur gets the idea, or rather the idea is put in his brain that maybe he can think of his own character. Once again, like, again, my I had to keep matting down my hair because I kept getting blown back. Freddie K name drops Jack Kirby. Like he says, what about Jack Kirby? And Arthur's like, who? what kind of superhero is he? And like, no, Jack Kirby is was a comic book artist who thought up all of these superheroes. Maybe you could be like him. And Arthur's like, well, I can't dress as Jack Kirby. And I was... I was just there like, oh, my God, they said Jack Kirby and, like, didn't get sued? Is is that a thing? Or is, are the, the Jack Kirby estate particularly litigious? Well, just to the fact that he's, like, a chief Marvel creator. And I know that there's a lot of, like, um, legal things about, like, the credit that's given to Jack Kirby. A lot of times it's like, Stanley and Jack Kirby work together, and frequently Stanley is the one who gets the majority of the credit for a lot of Marvel superheroes and stories and stuff like that, when Jack Kirby actually had a lot of input. It's just the fact that he is tied up with Marvel. That I'm just like, I can't believe, like, and Arthur is not related to, you know, PBS isn't owned by Disney yet. You know, there's no relation there other than just using Jack Kirby as a cultural uh, reference. And I just completely didn't expect them to do that. It totally fits. It was just, I never expected anybody on Arthur to say the name Jack Kirby. Just really, really took me for another surprise, and I was continuously kept on my toes by this episode. So that night, Arthur dreams up the superhero Supernova. Now, I will say, Supernova's design, for anybody, any of you listeners who read comics out there, uh, it seems reminiscent of DC's character Adam Strange. It's like a red astronaut suit, almost, and he has, he also has a... Um, like a cosmic rod that he uses, which also reminds me of Starman. So a couple of good comic book references there. As well, uh, Starchild and Sirius the Superdog also intrude on Arthur's dream, but he he eventually takes to them fine. Starchild uses uh, DW's Blanky as a weapon to fight a villain named Escargada, who is like a snail woman who fires slime. Uh... <laughs> My favorite my favorite part of this is after they defeat Escargada, who had already defeated Dark Bunny in uh, Arthur's dream, uh, they get a commendation from the mayor, and Arthur looks right at the camera and says, remember, always check the ingredients on beverages. <laughs> they may not be as healthy as advertised. <laughs> Just a really good way to stick it to them. So Arthur gets the idea, and DW helps to create a costume for the both of them, of Supernova and Starchild, and they decide to dress up as them uh, for the um, for the convention. Yeah, Arthur discovers OC. He discovers coming up with your original <laughs> character. Um, just another one of the many revelations in this episode. And that's pretty much it. Is um, I, uh, There's also a nice moment here at the very end 
where Arthur's kind of doubting himself when he's like looking at his new costume that's made out of all the pots and pans and stuff. Um, but it's actually DW being very impressed with it uh, that convinces him to kind of stick with it and to go to the convention uh, because she thinks it's really cool, which is nice because, again, those those moments where we have Arthur and DW kind of on the same team uh, being encouraging to one another are kind of few and far c- between. They're usually kind of antagonistic towards one another. So I thought that was a cute way to wrap it up as well. Yeah, I kept expecting there to be like a little bit of a a, 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 twi- a sour twist to DW's involvement, but there isn't really. Uh, they both go to the convention together. There's a little bit of confusion when uh, Binky doesn't. Binky and Buster don't recognize what Arthur is. Uh, Binky dressed up as Uncle Slam, by the way, and Arthur explains that he's dressed up as Supernova, his own original creation. Everybody really likes that. Everybody thinks that's pretty cool. And the end of the episode is Freddie K uh, complimenting Arthur's costume and showing and saying that he's got some uh, old Dark Bunny comics for them to look at. So this wraps up like this wraps up in kind of a line or two, but I appreciate it where Arthur learns the lesson that you don't have to buy everything that has your favorite character on it. And (laughs) and folks like never has something been more relevant on Arthur perhaps ever when Arthur's just like, you know what? I guess I don't have to buy every single thing that has dark bunny on it. And in the age where professional wrestler, Johnny Gargano named his child after the guardians of the galaxy character. I think a lot of people of every age need to know that you don't have to make your entire life about the entertainment properties that you consume. I mean, hey, you know what? You know what? Fancy talk from the person with the Arthur podcast. I know, but I have other interests outside of Arthur. I'm not going to name a kid after Francine or something. You know, there's there's a lot. There's a line there. And listen, take take my word for it, folks. I might have an Arthur podcast. I don't have Arthur bedsheets. No, but. Uh... If you see a good deal on them, no, actually, uh, <laughs> no, well, no, you, we just learned your lesson. I don't. I, I. Hey, it's it's not just it's not just my bed. There's more than one person yeah, I was there. Just and I say, well, you think your wife would go along with that? She uh, emphatically would not. I guarantee. <laughs> uh, so yes, excellent point. <laughs> and we're all grateful for her. <laughs> yes, even I distantly am as well. Okay, let's take a look at this in review. Looking for Bonnie. This was another one that was also um, surprised me in some ways. Maybe not as much as I had spoken about, but uh, how did this work for you? So I got a weird critique for uh, looking for Bonnie. I liked all the elements of it. I liked the songs. I liked the dream sequences. I liked, you know, the pairing of Buster and and George. Um, I liked Dean Lomax. I think Dean Lomax is a fun character. Um, My one issue is that it's formatted weird, right? There's not a rule of threes. We get Buster, uh, we get, um, George has his little vision. um, Buster has his little vision. They go to bed, they wake up, they learn that it wasn't a magic guitar after all. And then we get this weird, like, as Dean is explaining the power of music, we get weird flashbacks to the visions we just saw. Um, And I thought that, I I was like, this is kind of, like, odd. Um, it would. I would have rather have they cut the whole flashback thing because it's obvious that what Dean's saying about the power of music. You don't even have to flashback to the visions to illustrate that. And instead, it would have been nice if there was like maybe a third kid that was with them, and then we could have seen like a third vision because um, the episode felt unbalanced in that way. Um, but besides that, I think it was, um, it's fun to have a musical episode. Again, this is another reason why I would like to have a third kid. Just a third song would be nice. We haven't had an episode that had a couple of musical numbers in a little bit. So I enjoyed that. Um, yeah. I liked it too. Um, it was, I kind of knew when it started off as, um, in the way that it did, I was like, okay, we're doing something a little different. Once again, always appreciate a George episode. Although I'm beginning to see that, you know, the monkey's paw curls every time. I'm like, I wish this could be an episode with George. And it's like, you're going to get Wally too. <laughs> I'm like, great. But Wally's not around for most of it. Um, it's an interesting way to impart the lesson of... Uh, the power of music, which is, I think, which is, I think, something that a lot of people believe in. I would think that you and I are both believers in that to some extent, and it's a very y- utopic ideal to have, and that's not a bad thing. I've, you know, I have nothing bad to say about that. It's just an interesting lesson to teach kids, and I think it's one that 
you know, as we discussed before, one of the many evergreen lessons of Arthur. And they went about it in, in uh, an interesting way. It seems like they might have had fun uh, thinking about ways to get across this Dean Lomax guy of like maybe drawing on some uh, rock history knowledge in the writer's room, perhaps. As an episode, it's a little thin. Like it's I was it was one of those ones where it's like, oh, it's over. Like it didn't seem like a lot happened, but there was a lot of uh a lot of time for imagination sequences, which there aren't always. And I thought that it was just an interesting idea that they got across pretty well. And it was economical with its time, I guess I would say. So pretty good. Nothing amazing. But I still kind of liked it. Now, the secret origin of Supernova, I have a lot of time for. Because, wow, this one this is one of the biggest surprises that I think we've ever I've ever seen doing this podcast. Like, I've never been, like, of course, this is an episode I hadn't seen before, but this really, like, did a lot for me. Like, I loved the message behind this. And I think it's really, you know, one of the things that we're always going to be talking about with Arthur is the way that it, I've seen this a lot with people's reaction to it. it. It rarely talks down to its audience. Now, um... I don't know if I completely agree with that. We've talked about episodes that have felt below Arthur's caliber in terms of the audience that it's writing for. This one felt like it was giving its audience a lot of credit in terms of the idea of, you know, not letting something define your identity and letting your own creativity shine above the creativity that you see from others, specifically when talking about, like, cartoons that you watch on TV or comic books that you read. Ultimately, and I, I don't think I'm reaching too much with this, the the stuff that you can create is often more interesting to other people than the stuff that you that is given to you in the form of entertainment. I just, I, I don't know. I think that they went about this in a really interesting way, like bringing them to a new location like the comic book shop, making all of these um, one-off superhero characters and these designs that we may never see again, but it was a really creative way to put this across and then letting Arthur learn this interesting less this very mature lesson that still applies today and in a way that didn't feel forced and like you said how Arthur and DW can just cooperate and not have it take a sour note or something I love this episode it's one it's I mean spoilers but it's gonna be one of my top five of the entire season I really loved it yeah, I, I mostly concur. I, I really enjoyed the episode as well. I think it was dense. Um, I, I think it was a very nuanced, not only take on on fandom and, you know, spending all your money on, like, something just because it's got your favorite property stickered on it, um, but also just kind of consumerism in general and, and Arthur just being so mad that all of these people who are supposed to be heroic would sell out so easily. Um, and I, I agree, there was a lot of creativity in this episode, um, not only with all the new heroes, but I really liked Freddie K, um, and now there is one little thing, though. Okay. I'm a little bit worried, because I will say this, I don't like Supernova as much as I liked Dark Bunny and Bionic Bunny, and I wonder, is this episode sunsetting the Dark Bunny and Bionic Bunny characters for the more, uh, or should I say, less copyright infringing Supernova <laughs> character. Like, whenever we need... Because, you know, we have these kind of superhero dream sequences throughout Arthur. And they've always been Dark Bunny or Bionic Bunny. And I wonder if going further, one of the roles of this episode was to come up with a new character that was a little bit less copyright infringing. I'm a little bit worried about that because I have a lot of love for Dark Bunny and Bionic Bunny and those segments. Um, but that remains to be seen, and that's not actually something that takes place within this episode. So the episode as is, uh, two thumbs up, really excellent Arthur episode. Uh, just a little bit worried if we're saying goodbye to our beloved BB and DB. That's a good question. I can't imagine that, especially Bionic Bunny, like it's so, that's one of the biggest things that people remember from Arthur, really. And, like, Dark Bunny, maybe, but somehow I don't see it. My biggest question, similar to yours, is will we ever see Supernova again? I hope so. But it's interesting that you bring that up because, I don't know, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe they decided they did need to go somewhere different with it. Time will only tell as we continue on. And we're going to be hitting a new season of Arthur 
very, very soon. So let's take a look at what the next uh, the next couple of weeks are going to look like for Elwood City Limits. So next week, as I mentioned before, Lucas and I are going to be doing a review of All Grown Up, which is the second half of the last episode of Arthur. We're not going to be doing the one before it. We're just going to be talking about the one, like, All Grown Up. We're just going to be and talking about that talking one. we're not talking about the show with the Rugrats teenagers either. We are not reviewing that. <laughs> oh, you stole my joke. I was going to use that. I was going to hang on to that for next week, but it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be talking about just that. We're going to be doing it a little bit more informally. We did this before for uh, Arthur's first day, which was the uh, fourth grade episode. We did that on Patreon last year, and we it was a bit more informal. We were talking about our feelings about it. There's a lot to dig into with All Grown Up, so I think we're going to find a way to like really dig into that. And then also next week, we are going to be giving you on the free feed our recap of season 13. We are going to be giving you our personal top fives and our thoughts on the season that was. And I gave you a little bit of a spoiler for what mine's going to look like, but that's going to be coming out in the free feed. The All Grown Up review is going to be on Patreon. Uh, so once again, patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits if you would like to take a listen to that. Then the week after, we are getting into Elwood City Limits season 14. Uh, oh, I didn't write down the name of the episode for this, so we're going to be discovering it at the same time as I go to one of my most visited Wikipedia pages, uh, list of Arthur episodes. So the first episode of season 14 of Arthur, which we'll be covering here, is The Wheel Deal and The Buster Report. We've got a, it's another season we always find a lot to talk about as we grow ever closer to the start of the Flash seasons. This isn't it. We've still got traditional animation for a little while, but every little every episode of Elwood City Limits brings us a little closer to a dawning of a new age of Arthur. And that's it for season 13, other than our recap. Uh, Lucas, very excited to turn another corner as, uh, as we have, what is this, uh, 12 other times on this show? <laughs> exactly. And the earth keeps spinning, Will. It doesn't matter if it's flash animation or the end of the series. Me and you, we're in this together until we get all the way to the end. You betcha. All right, for Elwood City Limits, my name's Will Young. And for Lucas Mancini. Excellent. More money for me. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Ah, oh, what I wish I could say. <laughs>